from St. Mark's Gospel, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. For we are not setting our mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, friends, there's a war on. And that war cuts right through the middle of every single person sitting in this room today. And standing, I might add. There's a war on, and Lent is all about this image, this struggle, this, <laughs> this cage match. But the war in your heart and mine between you and the world and the flesh and the devil. Boy, you don't hear that very much anymore, do you? And Jesus calls it this morning, he calls it out, that the war is on. In this case study that I'm going to submit to you this morning, this, this, in, this interaction between Peter, his friend, and Jesus, there's a war on in Peter's heart, and in mine as well, and yours. And we're going to look at Peter as the example of this war and also the solution. There's a war on in Peter's heart and in yours. Before I dive into that, I want to say one thing. If you're new to the parish, or maybe you've heard this before and just forgotten, the heart and the biblical idea, we, we as, as 21st century uh, Westerners hear the heart as emotions, right? Valentine's Day and, you know, big old chocolate-filled red candy kisses and all that sort of stuff. Nonsense. The heart in the biblical language Heart means, um, has nothing to do with emotion. The word heart, it's the word cardia in Greek, cardiologist, cardiogram. But the word heart in the biblical idea, the Greek usage does not mean your emotions. It means your guts, your core, the real you, the sum total of your experience, mind, body, spirit. By the way, that trichotomy doesn't exist either. You are just you, and your heart is the sum total of who you are, and friends, there's a war on in your heart and in mine. So we're going to look at this war today in the hearts of all mankind, with Peter as our case study. Peter's an easy case study. <laughs> in Peter's heart, and my heart, and in yours, and we're going to look at this with two points. Um, the cause of the war, and how do we fight it? The cause of this war in my heart and in your heart and in Peter's heart. And the source of our victory. So there's a war on in Peter's heart. But it doesn't actually, you know, it's interesting. It doesn't actually look that way at first. You know, one of the sad, sad parts, one of the things that's kind of tricky for us is that the, the lessons are appointed. And so our lesson for this morning in the gospel starts at verse, uh, I think, 31. But if you miss the verses right before it, it changes the whole dynamic. Because Jesus, even though Peter's got a war on in his heart, it doesn't look that way at first. Why? Well, the, the, uh, the men, the boys, Jesus, Peter, and his friends, his apostles, are on their way to Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem is where the king's palace is, right? Jerusalem is where the temple resides. It's where the king's palace, the king of the Jews, lives in Jerusalem. Everything about Judaism is centered and orbits around the city of Jerusalem. And that's where these guys are going. Why? Because they think something's up with this Jesus guy. They all think, or at least they're getting a little bit and more and more suspicious that this Jesus might actually be the Messiah, the one whom God had promised through all the Old Testament who would come and would liberate the Jews and free them from oppression and reestablish the Davidic kingship, king, 
uh, kingdom in Jerusalem. That's what they all expect. And the reason they think that is as they're going along, they're seeing that Jesus is doing some pretty remarkable things. They've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and there had been some false starts, some failed messiahs. But this Jesus guy, you know, he's a little different. He's a lot different. Actually, he's got, he's got game, you might say, right? He speaks with authority. When he preaches, people go, I talked about this a few weeks ago. When he preaches, people go, holy smokes, this guy doesn't preach like uh, the teacher. He preaches like, like he's God, right? He heals the sick, this Jesus does. He raises the dead, this Jesus does. He gathers all these people around him. He casts out demons, and they say to him, we know who you are, and he shuts them up, these demons. And so these apostles, these Jewish guys, they're all Jewish, right? They see this action, this Jesus guy in action, Jesus who is also of Davidic lineage. He's got the right genes to be the king of the Jews. And they begin to think that maybe this guy, there's more to it than meets the eye. Maybe this Jesus fella, maybe he's the one. Maybe he's the one in whom we have hope for millennia. And so, in, and, and so the, the reason I mentioned about taking Scripture out of subtext is despite the fact that Jesus calls Peter Satan this morning, which I'll get to in a moment, the four, four verses right before this, verses 27 through 30, go like this. Jesus is there walking to Jerusalem. And Jesus says to his disciples, or the apostles rather, hey guys, I like to paraphrase a little, by the way. Hey, guys. Hey, fellas. Who do people say that I am? It's kind of a loaded question. And they say, well, I just preached on this a few weeks ago. Some say John the Baptist. Okay. Some say Elijah, the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. Okay. And others say one of the prophets. Jesus says, okay, Roger. But who do you say that I am? His followers. Who do y'all? It's second person plural. Who do you Say that I am. And Peter, as you know this, exclaims, you are the Christ, which means the Messiah, the King. Bam! Quest problem solved, right? Let's go have dinner. That's what you'd think would happen. You are the Christ, Peter says. You are the Messiah. Yeah, Peter, you know, I, I love Peter. He's a little erratic. He's a little, he's a little shoot from the hip kind of guy. Maybe sometimes he speaks before he thinks, but that's okay. I'm kind of the same way. And so, Peter, he gets it right, you know? You are the Christ. Even a broken clock is right twice a day, they say. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this. And then he says the following. We pick up in verse 31 this morning. Jesus says, okay, guys, you're right. I am the Christ. I am the Messiah. Here's what's going to happen next. Look at it again, verse 31. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Well, we know that. Yeah, of course. That's where the, king, that's where the monarchy is. That's where you're going to conquer the Romans, right? Nope. He says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, betrayed, and killed. What? What kind of a Messiah is killed? What kind of a victor is, is killed? And, and if you look again, that word says the Messiah must go. That word is the word D-A. And it means it's a matter of necessity. In fact, it's part of the plan. In fact, it's the entire plan that Jesus goes to Jerusalem to die. Now, stop there. Remember in your own life the time when someone um, betrayed you? Uh, someone that you relied on, someone that you trusted, someone that you thought you knew so thoroughly they could never really surprise you, and yet they did. They say something or do something or whatever that 
dashes all of your trust and confidence in who you thought that they were. Well, guess what? You know exactly what's going through Peter's mind right now. Because the Messiah is not supposed to be killed. The Messiah is supposed to be putting on the hurt, man. The Messiah is the one who goes and conquers. He doesn't die there. It's insane. What kind of a Messiah, what kind of a leader is the victim and not the victor? See my point? Never heard of a crucified Messiah? That's insane. Put yourself in Peter's shoes. Jesus, what, are you high? (laughs) What's the matter with you, Jesus? And it says that, that Peter pulls him aside and he rebukes him. He rebukes him. What's the matter with you, Jesus? Some, you don't die as the Messiah. You do the killing. You do the conquering. But I want you to see something here. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes because there, you are in his shoes, and so am I. Because guess what? There's a war in Peter's heart and in yours and in mine. That's kind of the point here. That's, the, that's exactly the point here. That we all, we all, including me, we all second-guess God. I mean, yeah, we say we, we believe in him. You wouldn't be in this room right now if you didn't believe in him. We say we believe in God, but love my enemies? What, are you crazy? <laughs> Pray for those who persecute me? What, are you crazy? When I'm cursed by someone, I'm supposed to bless them? What, are you crazy? 10% of my income? What, are you crazy? Next time somebody cuts you off in traffic, remember that you were to pray for those who do that. So Peter, Peter, Peter shoots from the hip, right? But he's actually saying, one of the things I love about Peter is that he actually says what everybody else is thinking. He says what you're thinking, and I'm thinking, Jesus, this is insane. And an astounding turn of events, this is where I want to dial in on today, in an astounding turn of events, you are the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, Peter goes from the hero of the day to being rebuked in some rather harsh language. Get behind me, Jesus says. Get behind me, Satan. I've never said that to anybody in my entire life. <laughs> and the point, and the point I want to make here, and I'll move into this in a second, about this Satan language, is point number one, the cause of the war in Peter's heart and in yours and in mine. What happened? Well, the first thing we need to do is understand this idea of why did Jesus call him Satan? Of all things, I've never once called somebody Satan. Has anybody here ever called somebody Satan in their life? No, you would never do that. I mean, why doesn't Jesus just call him a jerk or stupid or a knucklehead or whatever? Get behind me, loser. Get out of my way, you fill in the blank. They are carpenters and fishermen, by the way. Why Satan? Why that word? Well, it's a hugely important thing. Here's the reason. Here's the reason why he calls him Satanas. I'll give you an example. Anybody here ever watch Law and Order? I, lo- I used to love Law. It got weird with the Special Victims Unit. It's a little too weird for me. But I love watching Law and Order. Somebody this morning said that Law and Order is on their TV 24-7. Okay, good. But uh, Law and Order is a show about law and order. And it's about going to court. And in Law and Order... Typically, you have a, you know, the investigation, and then they get this person to trial. The defendant is on, this, is on trial, and the person is cross-examined. And the person is examined in the court of law in order to do what? Convict them, assuming they're guilty. And so the person that gets up and stands there, and, you know, Billy Bob is on the stand, and the prosecuting attorney comes out, and he's trying to cajole, intimidate, um, trip up, confuse, trick, 
You've watched this. That's what makes it fun to watch these lawyers duke it out with these defendants, right? To convict them. That's what the prosecuting attorney's job is to do to the person on the stand. Friends, that is exactly what Hasatanis is. Hasatanis, the Satan, does not mean, right? Doesn't mean a pitchfork and all that sort of stuff. No. Hasatanis is not even a proper name. It's a noun. Satanis means the adversary. It is the same word as a prosecuting attorney in a court of law. And I'm not going to make any cheap lawyer jokes. Don't worry. But Hasatanis is an antagonist. He is the one who's trying to trip up what is true. Literally a prosecuting attorney trying to manipulate and confuse and distract and convict. That is what Jesus calls Peter. Hasatanis. Get behind me. Why that? Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Peter says, no way, man. You're out of your mind. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Why that word? Listen. Listen. Because Peter is trying to thwart what Jesus has just said is true. Sure, he's the king. Sure, he's the king. But here's really what's going on. Is that Peter fundamentally, listen, listen, listen. Peter is actually placing himself over the authority of Jesus. What's really going on here, what's really going on if you think about it, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem to die. Peter says, no way. What's really going on is that Peter really doesn't believe what Jesus has just told him. Sure, they expected the Messiah to go to conquer the Romans. Yeah, check. Sure, the Messiah is supposed to live in the royal palace. Absolutely, check. Sure, the Messiah is supposed to go and reestablish all that is good with the Jewish culture. Check. That's not what Jesus said. And, G- and Paul, or Peter rather, refuses to believe it. And therein, friends, lies the cause of the war in Peter's heart and in your heart and in mine. We say we trust him, but deep down, we really Let me give you an example. Jesus tells us, let me give you a couple of just pastoral examples. Jesus tells us repeatedly that he died for our sins that he might forgive us. I'll give you one example. There's lots, but I love this one because of the imagery involved. The woman caught in adultery in John's gospel, right? They're about to stone her. Jesus says, he was without sin, cast the first stone. Everybody backs away. Jesus says to the woman, I forgive your sins. Again, man can't tell another man or person they forgive their sins, but Jesus does. Woman, I forgive your sins. He says, now go and sin no more. How many of you really believe that? How many of you really live like that? I don't care if you believe it here. I mean, do you live it? Do you really believe that your past is behind you? How many of us really live that way? Yeah, I believe in it, Father. Sure, I did. Oh, yeah? Well, how many of you live in guilt and shame? Anybody here? Yes, all of you. You know why? There's a war on in your heart. How many of us carry the burdens of our past? Things we've done or things that have been done to us. Either, either shame or lack of forgiveness. How many of us carry those? You all do it, so do I. You know why? There's a war on in your heart. And what that war means is that you and I really don't believe deep down the things that Jesus says to us. Just like Peter. That he has forgiven you. That the past is behind. Go and sin no more. Or maybe it's the past. There's not even just guilt guilt and shame about something you've done. We've all got that, but certainly all of us have had things happen to us that were betrayals by someone we loved or something which has happened to us, which just care, we carry that, 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 that lack of forgiveness. What does that get you, man? 
anger and frustration and resentment, yeah, that's no fun. You say you forgive them like Jesus commands you, but you really don't, and neither do I. You hang on to it. Why? Because deep down in your heart, there's a war on. You may call him Lord and Savior. You may, you may even, like Peter, call him Christ. But deep down, there's a war on, and you don't really believe it all the way down, do you? We say we do, and we really want to, but we don't. And the reason I'm telling you this, friends, is this is Lent. And one of the things I'm saying and repeatedly over and over again is the reason for this war in your heart is because you and I, friends, are fallen sinners. I preached about this last week. If you weren't here, go listen to it again. And the idea is not condemnation. It's not meant to be con- condemning. Sin that is repented of is not condemning, but it is meant to be a diagnostic of your heart. There's a war on. We're fallen. I said last week that if these sins are things, to admit that you are a fallen, broken sinner is the most liberating, healthy, constructive thing you can do in your life because you recognize your sin, you're sick, and you need a Savior. That leads me to my second point then. If there's a war on in my heart, and there is, then how does Jesus then give us the victory? Look at this again. Back to the text. Peter says, Peter tells Jesus, no, man, death in Jerusalem, what are you, crazy? This is, that's not how the story's going to go. And, and then Jesus says to him, listen to this, get behind me, get behind me, Satan. Now let me ask you this, why does he say behind me? Jesus could have just walked, so here, presuming that Jerusalem is that way, and here's Jesus, and Peter's in the way, he says, get behind me, Satan. But Jesus could have just, I don't know, Mr. Miyagi'd him, right? Kicked, drop kicked him. He could, have done it. he could have just pushed him out of the way. He could have just walked around him. He could have knocked him down. He could have drop-kicked him, whatever. He could have done anything he wants. He says, no, no. He says, get behind me, Satan. In other words, Peter has to make a decision, right? The ball's in Peter's court. Get behind me. It's a command. And the, and the command means not only to get out of my way. It does mean that, but it means to listen to what I am saying to you. Trust me. Listen to me. Follow me. And friends, therein lies the solution to the war in your heart and in mine. It's simply this, to get behind him, to follow him. For two reasons. First of all, Jesus says, get out of my way. You're in the way. When you fight, when there's a war in your heart, you refuse to believe what Jesus tells you is true. You are in the way. Jesus says, get out of the way. Get out of the way. I've got this one. Guess what? I'm the son of God. I can handle it. I know what I'm doing. Where in your life right now are you in the way? (laughs) Where? Where in your life right now is there something that you just can't let go of your control? Maybe it's a relationship with your wife or your children or health issues or whatever it might be, man. What are you wrestling with about what to do now? Guess what? Newsflash. Fun fact, Jesus has a plan and you are part of it. So get out of the way and get behind him. Because all of us are like Peter, man. We want to control it. We want to micromanage it. We want to call the shots. We want to tell God how things are going to really go. Jesus says, get behind me. And the second thing about this is that when you get behind Jesus, you begin to see the victory that he provides for us. You know, getting behind somebody means that you actually can see where they're going. Getting behind somebody means you see their perspective. Getting behind them means that you trust them. You know, Peter, incidentally, Jesus says, get behind me, Peter, follow me. And Peter does. After all that. Yeah, Peter, we're going to Jerusalem and we're going to be killed. Uh, okay. He goes, because Peter does go. Of course, he betrays him there three times. That's another story. But 
The point is, Peter does do it, and he's our example both for the war in our heart and the solution to follow him. Because, friends, there's a war on between the person you want to be and who we truly are. There's a war on between the man or woman that God wants you to be and who we truly are. And the victory in that war, friends, is to get out of the way, to follow Jesus, to be obedient. There's a word we don't like. To listen to what he says. We don't like that one either. To do what he tells us to do, even when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. When Jesus tells us in Scripture, it might not be easy, but it is true. So here's my Lenten counsel today, friends. There's a war on, but the victory is already won. Put your head down, do what he tells you to do, and push forward unwavering. Jesus has got the flag, and he's pushing forward. Get out of the way. Get behind him and follow. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for Scripture, which challenges us. Boy. We thank you, Lord, for Peter, every man who is like every man in this, and woman in this room. We doubt, we struggle, we wrestle, but Lord, we know that you are the Son of God, the Christ. Lord, remind us that we're fallen sinners, that we need a Savior, and you are our Savior. Remind us to get behind you, Lord, and follow you to do what you tell us to do, even when it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.